Good morning, church. There we go. That was better. <clears throat> Grateful that you're here this morning, and uh, if you're a guest, we want to just again say thank you for being here. We hope you've been encouraged through our time in worship together. I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we'll be reading together in just a moment. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, there should be there one there in front of you in the pew, or access that on your phone, or however you want to do that, but I want you to, to read with us in just a minute. I want to just say before we do that, it's personally great to be back with you after being out for a couple of weeks. Lana and I had a great time away, and we're happy to be back. I want to thank Chris and Dustin for preaching in my absence uh, and uh, doing a great job. If you missed either of those sermons, uh, you can go and listen to that on our podcast on the website, however you access those sermons. I want to one mention one announcement before we start. Uh, last week, last Wednesday night, uh, Joe Dara and Mike Holder kicked off our summer Big Questions series that we've been doing now for about four years. Uh, this Wednesday night, we'll continue that, and there's some information in the bulletin, but I wanted just to, to mention that uh, we have a really special guest. As you know, over the last several summers, we have uh, discussed and tackled all kinds of really difficult, big topics uh, this Wednesday night. Um, we will have two guests that will be here with us. Uh, Gary and Rose are their names. Uh, Miss Rose is uh, in her 90s and is a survivor of the Holocaust. And Gary wrote a book about her life, and they will be here sharing her story. I think it will be a really powerful evening that I want you to, to be a part of. So we'll be down in the Fellowship Hall, uh, 7 o'clock Wednesday night. There will be stuff going on for kids and uh, Summer Blast and for our students as well. So invite a guest, bring somebody with you. And uh, let's have a great uh, time Wednesday night together. Today is the final day, final week in our Everyday Saints series. And in this series, we've been exploring together over these, these several weeks uh, how in Scripture, God's people are called saints. It's one of the words that gets used to describe God's people. And that's actually where the word saints really originates from. And sometimes it gets translated as holy people or God's person, God's people, depending on the translation that you use, but sometimes it gets translated as this word saints. And when it's used, it's always used to describe a person that is uh, normal and everyday, kind of a common average person, is never used to describe someone that is super spiritual, which is how we typically think about that word. Oh, they're a saint, right? And we are, what we're saying when we say that is we're trying to elevate them to another level, to another platform that we don't see ourselves on. But every, every time you see this word saint used in the Bible, it's used to describe normal, everyday people. People with pasts, people with flaws, people with imperfections, people that are broken, as Ray reminded us in this beautiful way around uh, his communion meditation just a minute ago. And, and God takes these everyday, imperfect people, and this is the, the miracle of all miracles, right? God makes them into holy people. God makes them saints. And God does this by washing us through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, which might even be the most miraculous part of this miracle, God imparts to us the righteousness of Jesus so that when God looks at us, He sees a righteous person. You, you may have a hard time seeing yourself in the way that God actually sees you when He looks at you as a righteous, holy person. And that's kind of the big idea of this study that we've been reviewing and talking about week after week. And then some of the weeks we've, 
we've explored kind of different elements and angles of this idea, this, I, this part of our identity as a saint, as a holy person. We've talked about the fact that as a part, part of what being a saint means is that it comes with a really high calling, an expectation that we live in a particular way so that our lives look different, that we're set apart from the world around us. And today, as we turn our attention uh, to one final piece of this identity as saints, uh, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 3, but this morning uh, we have a really special treat. Instead of you hearing me read the sermon text from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, my buddy Brandon Bartlett is going to uh, be reading one of the saints among us. Uh, several weeks back, uh, Judy, Brandon's mom, sent me uh, the sweetest video that I should have shown. I didn't think about that until just now. Uh, of Brandon reading a scripture in their living room, practicing his preaching skills, which sometimes he does at home and says, you know, today I'm going to be Mr. Doug. And so today he gets to be uh, the preacher for just a minute. And uh, I want to invite Brandon, if you want to bring your Bible and come up. And we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. I want you to open your Bible. I'm going to stand up here with Brandon because he's been a little bit nervous about this, but he's going to do great, isn't he, church? All right. Yeah. Yeah, good. Give him a round of applause before he even starts. I was going to have you do that at the end. Brandon, these people love you a lot, and we're going to read beginning in verse 14. Church, I want you to follow along. I'm going to take my microphone off so you can be sure and hear Brandon and hold it closer to his mouth. So, All right, you ready? Waiting for his... Would 
you guys give Brandon another hand? I love you, buddy. I'm proud of you. I want to, before Brandon sits down, I want to tell you that uh, as we were talking about this, he's been practicing reading these verses a lot at home. And um, in the course of our conversations and talking with Judy, uh, he also has expressed a desire to be baptized. And so we're going to be doing that after the sermon in just a few minutes. So would you all give him another hand? Good job. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the body of Christ and to be part of uh, a church family that honors each other and that celebrates one another, even in the midst of all the things that we know that we each, each and every one of us carry. And I'm grateful for my friend and my buddy Brandon this morning. Uh, really preaching the sermon already uh, to us. And I just pray, God, that you'll speak this morning to our hearts as you remind us about the body of Christ, as we think together about the importance of the church uh, in each and every one of our lives. We pray through Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to think about (coughs) one other piece of our identity as saints, and that that is this. Uh, that when you see the word saints appear, you almost never see it appear in singular form. You almost never see it appear in singular form. It's almost exclusively plural, which is interesting and is an important thing for us to remember as we conclude this study. I want to just look again at one of the places, again, where this word shows up in verses 18 and 19 that Brandon just read for us where Paul says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This prayer we have to notice this morning is not just for you individually in your own world, in your own bubble, as you express your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This prayer is for everyone that follows Jesus. And so, yes, God's love is for you individually, but God's love is also for you, plural. God's power is for you and is made manifest in your life specifically, but is most beautifully seen and most fully known together through the gathered body of Christ. The prayer is that Paul prays here, that we understand the power of God and that we understand it with all the saints. Most clearly, we understand it together. The high calling that we've received, the life we've been called to live, is most appropriately lived with others. I suppose it would be fairly easy for all of us, right, to be Christians on an island by ourselves somewhere. The only person in that scenario that you'd have to get along with would be you, which you do already pretty well. Some of you heard me say before, like, we all think we're right about all the opinions that we hold. Otherwise, we wouldn't hold those opinions. And if at any point I decide that I'm wrong about any of the opinions that I hold, then I'll change my mind and I'll be right about all the opinions I hold again. Right? It's easy to get along with yourself. It's harder to have a community of people who are rubbing up against your life and maybe irritating you sometimes, bothering you, offending you, hurting your feelings, stepping on your toes, whatever it may be. 
Most of us get along with ourselves pretty well, but the Bible calls us saints, plural, as in more than one. In my, by my count, there are about 61 times where this word saints or holy person shows up, and 60 of them are plural. Just let that sink in for a minute, which suggests to me that being a holy person is more of a communal identity marker than it is a personal identity marker. I want to say that again because, again, I think we, we set people aside and we say, this person is elevated. They are something different, special, unique. I am not like them. But in Scripture, that is not the way the word is used. In Scripture, the way the word is used suggests that it is more of a communal identity marker than it is an individual identity marker. We think of individuals as saints, but it isn't the, word, the way the word is used in Scripture. We, we are a holy person, maybe another way to say this. We are a holy person who by design is intended to walk with other people through life. Christianity was never designed to be something that was done on your own. Now, the challenge with this is some years ago, I, I went back and tried to look at exactly when it started, and there's not really a great date for it, but some of you will be able to realize in your own life where you remember a conversation church, in churches around Christian circles that started happening, started kind of popping up. And that conversation shifted to an indiv- everybody wanting to have an individual personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which was a, was a shift in the way that kind of Christianity thought about our relationship. I have a personal relationship with God, right? Before, there, before this change happened, which mostly all of us have only known that in our society and in the culture, but there was a time years and years and years ago where a part of our faith, we understood that faith was something that was received, that was passed on from a, a generation before us, right? And I'm, I'm all for having a personal relationship with Jesus. I think that's an important shift that happened in Christianity. The thing that I would want to say is um, that, that what, what that created, I think, was that this idea that you can have a relationship with Jesus and not have a relationship much with the church. And that idea is so far from what Jesus imagined, it's, it's heresy, really. You can't have a relationship with Jesus outside of his relationship with, with your relationship with the church, with the bride of Christ. The relationship that Jesus imagined with people also always involved a relationship with other people who were trying to follow him. We call it church. Maybe it's in, in, in the New Testament, ecclesia is a word, the gathered body of Christ, the gathered people, the gathering, God's holy people. And so the thing is, if you want Jesus, you have to take the church too. It's a package deal. You're not alone in your following of Jesus. You're stuck, really, with a community of people. You're a part of the church. You are saints, plural. And there are a couple things this morning that I want to think about together in regard to this identity, this plural use of the word saints and the way that it shapes our identity as a part of a church. The first is simply that we can, which we know already, but we just need to be reminded of again, I think, that we can do more together than we can do alone. 
Like this is one advantage of being a part of the gathered body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, just a few verses after what Brandon just read a minute ago, says this. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building, building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. God organized the church, is what, what this is saying is this. God organized the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for service so that we would mature and grow up to be as much like Jesus as possible. And the thing is that we can do an incredible amount of work together that we could never do individually. In the last year alone, in this church, over $400,000 was pledged to be given, right, for ministry and missions. And yes, some of that takes care of details and logistics to keep a church running and functioning, but the reality is all of that money, all of those financial gifts contribute to the larger thing that none of us individually could do on our own. The amounts that were given were really quite staggering, but it's, it's not just here locally. I mean, the impact that happens, right? Thousands of dollars were given to help people locally, nationally, internationally, that lives might be changed, that people might come to a knowledge about Jesus Christ. And as much as I love Jesus, and as much as I want to help people, as much as you love Jesus and want to help people, none of us could write a check to support an entire missionary family by ourselves. None of us could, could write a check to make the Hope Center, which is in the process of being transformed as we speak, into a livable space for neighbors in Kaufman County who are going to be looking for a place to live. But together, these things happen. Right? And I think we forget the, 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 really the, the minor miracle that it is that they do happen in the way that they do so that our little becomes more as each and every one of us do what we are able to do. I think about another example, our annual serve day, where this year, I mean, <clears throat> for a while I was announcing, like, we're going to have about 20 service projects. And, and then as the plans and details kept coming together, we kept growing in our number of service projects. Do you know this year alone, in one day, we did about 30 service projects all over Kaufman and Kaufman County. And one day, we and Country Bible Church and some others from, you know, a few guests from other churches in our community did in one day what would have taken any one of us months to accomplish in our city and in our county. And I love that collectively all of that good was done in the name of Jesus Christ. In one day, what would have taken us so long individually to do, and it happened in that way. But the Bible talks about Christians. There's always this language of body, right? The body, that we're a part of the body. The most well-known place where this is discussed probably is in Romans chapter 12 that says this. Paul says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member, notice this, belongs to all the other members. Right? That is really strong language. 
that eliminates any ability for you and me to have this individualistic idea about our identity as followers of Jesus. We are connected to one another. We belong to one another, Paul says. I have never heard anyone right, sing. You know, There's this song we sing uh, about being the body of Christ. I've never heard anybody sing, I am the finger of Christ, right? I have heard us sing, we are the body of Christ. Best I can tell, the only body part you don't want to be is the appendix, because apparently you can live without that. But we, we are a body, right? There's, there's not, it doesn't matter if you're the finger or the ankle or the ear or the mouth or what, the eye. It doesn't matter. It matters that we are connected to a, the head, which is Christ, and that we're trying to grow up this body, so that Christ is made known in complete and full ways in our city and in our county. Together, always together, we get more done. There is strength in our numbers. But there's another piece of this word saints, this identity as saints, and it's showing up particularly as a plural in Scripture that I want to talk about. And it may be the most important part, honestly, and that is that saints are being made holy, which means that they don't always act the right way. Jesus was right. Sometimes we act like sheep. We wander away. We're disobedient. We stink. We don't follow the path that's been set out before us. We don't listen to the shepherd. We do what we want to do instead of what we're called to do. And being a church is kind of like being in a family, quite honestly. It's one of the reasons that that word even gets used in Scripture, describing the church and the family that we are. And isn't it, isn't it true, as I thought about this, like, isn't it true in a family that you are most aware of the flaws of the people in your family? Like, you know, you could name to me right now the things that irritate you about certain family members. The things your kids do, right, or your spouse does that sometimes just get under your skin. You know things that they do well, things that they do poorly, areas where they need to grow. In fact, even though we know our own weaknesses, we could probably more easily name some of the weaknesses of the people in our families, or more willingly, than we would, you know, name our own. Our spouses, our kids, our parents, our mother-in-laws. Right, like there, there's this is the way that we in the, in the same exact way. This is the way we function, and I think in the same way, the thing about being a part of a church is that sometimes it is hard for you to see God in me. It is hard for you to see God in one another because if you're actively a part of a church and you're here on a regular basis and you're involved with people's lives and you're investing your life in other people's lives, then you will know them and you will certainly know their flaws and their quirks and you will see them in their good moments and you will see them in their bad moments. And you'll be well aware that sometimes they don't act like a saint. They don't act like the, the holy person that they've been called to be. Because I know I misbehave. I know that sometimes I am rude. I get irritated with some of you, right? I, so, I know that, I'm, that I, I'm selfish at times and that I struggle to forgive. I know that I can be easily angered. And sometimes you are those ways too. And yet, this is God's plan. 
Jesus said that it isn't the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And churches are full of people who are aware of their sicknesses and who have come to the hospital to find healing and have found it in Jesus Christ and are on a path toward healing because he did not come to call righteous people. He came to call sinners. And sinners then get made into saints in the presence of God. And that process happens in church, in a community, plural. There's always more than one. I want you to think about this, right? That, that Jesus, Jesus came and he created the church. And he filled the church full of people that was, were sinners until he made them saints. The only people that are allowed are imperfect people in church. Imperfect people that are being made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Which means, like this isn't a newsflash, it's just an ob observation, it, which means the church isn't perfect. <clears throat> there is no perfect church. You can leave this one and you'll go to another one and you'll find it. Man, this, these people are just as screwed up as the last group, right? Because we are all in the process of being made holy. Which means the church isn't perfect and like a family, it would be easy on any day, on any week, to point out all of the flaws and imperfections that you could find as a part of this or any church that exists with the bride of Christ. But Jesus chose this bride. And she may not always look as beautiful as we might imagine a bride should look, but she is the bride that Jesus chose. And no matter how much you love whatever version of church from the past that you've experienced, there was never a golden age for church. And there never will be a golden age because you'll always be dealing with people who are being made holy, that are moving toward Jesus and moving away from self as a result of their pursuit of Jesus Christ. There's a quote that I want to share with you that I think captures this idea so powerfully. <clears throat> it's from the foreword of a book called Ordinary Church. <clears throat> it's kind of a long quote, so it's like I think on four slides, but just kind of hang with me and we'll read this together. It says this, Despite the fact that churches are compromised entirely of sinners, Jesus has never and will never divorce his bride. The church remains the most visible expression of the kingdom of Christ. There's no place on earth like the church. A place where Matthew 25 is just a normal day. A place, if you don't know that reference, you need to go read Matthew 25 later. But, this, but he's about to give some examples of what that passage is about. A place where the poor are fed and clothed. The sick are helped and healed. Little, little commentary. Who do you think admitted hospitals? Christians. A place where the immigrant is welcomed and the prisoner is given dignity. A place where everyone is a saint and sinner. A place where a judge and a felon can sit side by side on the same pew with equal status in Jesus Christ. A place where we not only carry each other's burdens, but when necessary, we carry each other. Because despite our differences, maybe in education and opportunity, in opinions and in politics, we are learning to love one another like Jesus loves us. 
unconditionally. Yes, he says, I know I'm speaking like a dreamer, but I'm dreaming with my eyes wide open because I've seen everything I've just described in churches all over the world. I love this picture. Such a perfect description, I think, of what church is. Which is why I need you and you need me and we need each other because we're better together. There is greater strength. There's greater power that is experienced as we gather together. Which means, quite honestly, if I might just be very clear for a minute, you have to be here. You have to be invested in the body of Christ. You have to choose this thing sometimes over other things to get the most out of it. And I want to just illustrate this by showing you something. Three weeks ago, before Lana and I went on a little vacation, I broke this tree branch or cut this tree branch off of a tree. And in just a few short weeks, this is what it looks like. And this morning, I cut this branch off of my another tree. And this is what it looks like. So the thing is, right, like when, we, when we're not engaged and invested in the body, for a while it feels like, well, everything's cool. I'm still, look, I'm still alive. I still got life. I got color, right? But over time what happens is that it gets harder and harder to remain connected to Christ because you're not connected to the source of that, where, where, that, where that ha- the nutrition happens in the body. And so in just a few short weeks, this this branch could die because it's not connected to the root system, to the food source. It's not receiving the nourishment that it needs. Your identity as a saint requires that you be joined to other saints on a regular basis. And when we neglect this, we not only... Or our, we, also, we put our lives at risk and maybe to becoming undernourished and dry. But here's the thing. That, that's a part of it, right? Like, I'm not trying to guilt or shame anybody. When we neglect it, we, do, we will over time be undernourished and dry. That's a fact. But the greater thing that doesn't happen when we are not as deeply connected to, this, to, to the body of Christ as we can possibly be is that the world doesn't get to see the dream that Jesus imagined as the church become a reality because you are not a part of it and engaged in it in the way that Jesus imagined for you to be engaged in it. Paul finishes this prayer because at this point we feel like, well, how is it even possible, right? Like, it feels so heavy, Doug. It feels so impossible, which is why I love the way that Paul finishes this prayer because he says these words. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory, notice it, in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This power is visibly seen in the church as Christ gets exalted and he gets the credit and he gets the glory. The life as a holy person. This is the life as a holy person, as a saint. The life we share together as a church is possible only because, as Paul says in this prayer, of God's work in us. 
You are more than you think. And the church, the bride of Christ, is a crucial and primary part of all of our formation. I am a better Christian because of you. And you are a better Christian because of the people sitting around you. And the more our lives rub up against each other and bump into each other, and we have to practice forgiveness, we have to practice giving each other the benefit of the doubt, we have to be invited into service opportunities because the Lord knows I would not pick service opportunities on most days over whatever I want to do, right? So we create those opportunities in church, and you, you choose to step into those because you know as you do that, you're going to be formed and become more like Jesus Christ. And this is, the, this is, like, this is the, the laboratory where we get to practice what it looks like to be a Christian so that as we go out into the world, we're like, oh, well, this is nothing. I spend most of my time with this group of people who are all kinds of messed up. And my life's better because of it, and I'm more prepared to engage the world around me because I've spent time in a community of people who are not all that much like me in some ways. I share opinions on things with some of my very closest friends in this church who are very opposite of me on a lot of things, and I love that. Because if, if, if I was, you know, choosing it, I would probably just pick people to surround myself who thought everything, and they would just always tell me all the things that I, that I agreed with already, right? No, that's not what Jesus imagined. This is what he imagined. A, really, even a, a, a more perfect version of this. Like, we can still do better. We can still grow and improve. The church, the bride of Christ, is a crucial and primary part of all of our formation as a saint, for better or worse, till death do us part, as we say in weddings. This morning, my hope is, as we conclude this study, that you have been encouraged and reminded of your true identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. That you're more than you think you are, that you're called a holy person, a saint, you're set apart, and that you're a part of this beautiful, sometimes messy, sometimes the flaws are abundantly obvious, bride of Jesus Christ and that you're better for it some of you at the very beginning of this series I invited you to bring a picture of yourself to surround the walls and you you participated in that and I wanted these pictures to be a reminder over the last several weeks as we've studied this uh, that you are a saint that you are who you who God says you are even on the days you don't feel like it and so this week uh, Merle and I made copies of these pictures and uh, hopefully they're all back up on the wall. I've already had one person notice that their picture was missing, so I don't know. Hopefully, I thought we got them all back up there, but maybe not. Um, on the, if you brought a picture, I want you to go find it this morning and, and, and take it with you. There's two pictures. You brought one, and you're going to get two back. Uh, on the front, on the, on, the, on, the, on the clothespin, the back picture is the one you brought. And we copied that picture, and we hung it up with the picture you brought. And on the picture that we on the copied version of the picture you brought, we drew with a gold Sharpie marker a halo on the top uh, to remind you as a way to think about this series moving forward. And so hopefully we drew the uh, gold halo on the copy of the picture you brought and not the actual picture. Uh, I'm almost certain we did. Um, Talk to Merle. If that didn't happen, I'm sure she'll fix that. (laughs) Uh, But if you didn't do that, didn't participate in that part of the series, you know, maybe you can do that on your own in some way uh, later on. But I hope you've been encouraged and blessed and challenged as we've thought about this 
this identity marker of ours as saints. I want to pray for us, uh, and then Brandon and Judy are going to go back and be baptized. Chris is going to be down here uh, receiving people. If you have any other needs that you want to make public and you want to respond to, uh, he'll be down here. I'm going to go back and get ready for Brandon's baptism as well. And while we're singing, you're always encouraged uh, to find somebody around you and to pray with them. I know there's several things going on in lives today and in the coming days uh, that I know people would be encouraged and appreciative of those prayers. So let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father, we're grateful to be a part of the body of Christ. Grateful for this bride in all of her uh, imperfect uh, flaws and, and the, the way that sometimes we're very aware of that, God, but <clears throat> yet that's, we're, we're also aware of the fact that that's your plan and we're grateful to be a part of it. And we're grateful that our lives get to be shaped and challenged and pruned and improved and transformed through the relationships that we share with each other. And I pray, God, as we embrace this identity that we'll step into and live up to this calling that we've received. I'm grateful for this particular church, the Kaufman Church of Christ, and what you're doing here among us, the way that uh, I'm seeing lives changed all the time, the way that we all are so grateful to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We pray that you'll continue to grow us in a spiritual way, uh, to, to make us into the body that you imagined for us to be. We, we are grateful to be a part of that journey, and we're grateful for Jesus who makes it possible. It's in his name we pray, and the church said, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.